During Lent, uh, during the bit sort of uh, as we run up to Easter, um, we have been looking at Luke's gospel. And a couple of weeks ago, Jamie uh, talked uh, on Jesus in the desert, uh, facing the temptations in the desert. And then uh, when we get to Easter, we'll be looking at the cross and the resurrection. Uh, But in these weeks between the beginning and the end of Lent, we're looking at Luke chapters 13 and 14 as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem. Uh, where he will die on a cross. And so we're focusing on these couple of chapters, and today we are looking at chapter 13 and verses 18 to 30. So they're on page 1046, and I'm going to read it. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you will come from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Do keep um, it open on that page if you would. And let's just take a moment of quiet, shall we? But just before I begin, I'd love you to just, first of all, just pray for yourself. Pray for yourself as I'm going to try and explain uh, this passage uh, to us all. Just pray that God will be at work in you by the power of his spirit, as you hear the word being explained. So just take a moment of quiet. And I'd love it if you might pray for me as well as I speak. Just take a moment of quiet for that. Lord God, by the power of your spirit, as we hear your word, would you show us the wonder of your kingdom? Amen. What would you most like to see happen in this world? Probably right at the moment, it's sort of an end to the chaos of Brexit, but I'm meaning bigger than that. Bigger than Brexit, what would you most like to see happen in the world? An end to war end to environmental catastrophes, an end to terrorism, an end to poverty. Apparently, that question was asked on radio in America in in, uh, December 1948, just after World War II. And they'd gone to, in America, they'd gone to a few foreign ambassadors to the U.S. at that time, and they'd asked each of them the question, what would you most like to see happen in the world this Christmas? 
The French ambassador said he wanted peace. The Russian ambassador said he wanted freedom. Uh, the British ambassador, when he was asked what he'd most like to see in the world this Christmas, he slightly misunderstood the question, and he said he'd most like a box of crystallized fruit. <laughs> so the other ambassadors wanting an end to war, an end to slavery. The British ambassadors just wanted a few more orange and lemon slices. So there we go. Now, whatever it is that we answer to that question, Whatever we'd most like to see happen in this world, I guess it can all be summarized by saying we want to see an end to all evil. All of us, ultimately, that is what we want to see. We want to see an end of all evil. And the Bible tells us that one day that desire will be a reality. It calls that concept the kingdom of God, the place where God is king, the place where everyone lives under God's perfect rule in a perfect way, where there is no more evil. And our Bible passage today, it is all about the kingdom of God. I mean, the first few verses of the reading, they are obviously all about the kingdom of God, with these two short parables where Jesus is answering that question, what is the kingdom of God like? But the second half of the reading too, this parable of the narrow door, that is also, it is all about the kingdom of God too. Just look, would you, just for a moment, verse 28. He says, there'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So I hope you can see the whole of this passage that we're looking at this morning, it is all about the kingdom of God. And I would go so far as to say that the kingdom of God, it is the key theme of the entire Bible. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when Jamie started this series in Luke chapter 4, looking at Jesus in the desert, uh, Jamie put up a slide for a completely different reason. Uh, but I'm just going to put it slide up again. You'll see it coming up here, Hopefully. There we go, fantastic. The top five subjects that Jesus taught on. Number one, what is the thing that Jesus taught on more than anything else? It is the kingdom of God. And so here is my contention for this morning. My contention is this. The story of the Bible is the story of the kingdom of God. And that means every single one of us here, we would do well to understand what the kingdom of God is all about, whoever we are. Whether we're a Christian here this morning, perhaps we're a little bit confused about what on earth the kingdom of God is, what this whole concept means. Whether we're someone who is looking in on Christian things, and may I say, if that is you, it is so great to have you with us this morning. But whoever you are, whoever each one of us is, understanding the kingdom of God, it is deeply relevant to all of us. Because it's what the Bible's all about, it's the Bible story, but it's also the thing that we most long for is an end to all evil. So I'm going to try and answer two questions this morning about the kingdom of God. Really, what, what it is, and who. Who is in the kingdom of God? So first of all, let's look at what. Let's look at what is the kingdom of God. Take a look, would you, at our first verse. Verse 18 says this. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember what Jesus has just done. Jesus has just performed a miracle. He's just healed a woman. He has put an end to illness and sickness. It is, if you like, this miracle, it is a foretaste of God's kingdom. 
And the people back then, they were waiting. They'd been waiting for centuries and centuries and centuries for this Christ, this Messiah figure, this king, who's going to usher in this kingdom of God in an instant. And so as they see Jesus, Jesus performing this miracle, they're asking, is this it? Is Jesus this Messiah Christ figure? Is he the one that's going to usher in the kingdom of God in a moment? Is he going to put an end to all evil once and for all? Well, how does Jesus respond? He says, the kingdom of God, this end to all evil, it's like a bloke planting a tiny, weeny little mustard seed, barely visible in your fingers, planting it in your allotment that nestles in that little strip of land between the train line and the bus depot. It's nothing. It's a tiny seed in in a grotty little allotment. It is so small, it's barely noticeable, it is initially insignificant. And that is Jesus. This kingdom of God that has been promised for centuries and centuries and centuries, that everyone is waiting for. Jesus says, it has come, it has come with him, but in such an insignificant little way. Jesus, born in an obscure village, worked in a carpenter's shop till he was 30. For just three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never owned a house. He didn't go to university. He did none of the things that we usually associate with greatness and significance. Age 33, he was killed on a cross. He was nailed between two thieves. While he was dying, the executioners drew lots for his clothes, the only things that he owned on this earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend, initially insignificant. And you know why? Because if Jesus, if he had come and he'd ushered in the kingdom of God in all its fullness in that instant, just like that, if he had brought a complete end to all the evil, just like that, well, that would be the end of humanity too, wouldn't it? It would have been the end of you and me too, because we are all part of the problem of evil too. But how does Jesus continue? Well, verse 19, he says, this mustard seed, it grew. It grew, it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. He's saying there is giant growth to the kingdom of God. And Jesus here, he's being comical, he's exaggerating. He's saying this mustard tree is growing far more than it normally would down on the allotment. And really, really, this is a prophetic parable. Jesus is really describing, if you like, history between his first coming and his second coming. And he's saying giant growth over time, in the kingdom of God, will happen. Giant growth will happen as individuals, one by one, accept Jesus Christ's reign and rule in their lives. And this image, this image of this fully grown tree with birds perched in its branches, it actually comes quite a few times in the Old Testament, where it symbolizes Gentile, non-Jewish people being part of the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus, he's speaking to his Jewish listeners, and he's saying the kingdom of God, it's not just for the Jewish nation, it is for the whole world. It is that big, there's going to be that giant growth. Think of China in the 20th century. In 1958, Chairman Mao's wife, Jiang King, said this. She said, Christianity in China has been confined to museums. It is dead and buried. And yet today, there are over 70 million Christians in China. And in the next verse, verse 20, is Jesus does his other parable. He's saying exactly the same point as he turns from the mustard seed to the yeast. He's saying, 
We'll look at it. He says again, Jesus asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast. It's, it's, it's initially insignificant, so small. But it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Giant growth, one by one by one. As people turn to King Jesus, the kingdom of God, it has been growing and it is growing and it will grow. And so for you and I this morning, if there is one application for us as a church, it is this. We should expect growth. We should expect it. We can't guarantee it, of course, because growth is up to God. It's not up to us. And this parable, it's not about HTC, the local church. It's not. It's about the kingdom of God. So over time, we might shrink as a church whilst the Chinese church booms. But overall, Jesus is saying the trend should be upwards through time. As the mustard seed grows, as the yeast penetrates all through the dough. And certainly, by God's grace, that is what we've seen here at HDC in the last few years. I mean, over the last year, the, the, the church has grown probably by about 100 people. At Alpha, at Sunday services, people have been come, becoming Christians. People have been becoming part of the kingdom of God as they turn to King Jesus. And it's been wonderful. You know, now here on a Sunday, we're about 600 people across all the services. Here at this service, we, we can't fit all the children in all the different rooms here, so the over sevens are having to go across to Trinity House. The yeast, it is penetrating through the dough. So, so we've seen growth, and we expect, we can't guarantee, but we expect the church to carry on growing. And that is why we have to keep changing as a church. We have to keep removing barriers to growth. We have to keep looking at radical means to allow the growth of God's kingdom. Whether that is the possible church plant to Vauxhall, whether that's reordering this building, whether it's making room for more growth in our services, we've got to expect growth. And so we've got to plan for growth. In education these days, the big thing that's talked about in education is about children having a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. And just as in education, so too for us as a church, we need a growth mindset, not a fixed one. But there's one more thing, too, about what the kingdom of God is like. It's not just initially significant, then, from initial insignificance, there's giant growth that sort of goes on for eternity forevermore and evermore, full stop. No, one day, there will truly be an end to all evil. There is a final future. You see, as we try and understand what the kingdom of God is like, we need to see that the kingdom of God, it is a dynamic thing. That the Bible describes it as both a thing that is in the present and a thing in the future. So it's ushered in by Jesus, initially insignificant. Then it is growing, it is growing, it is growing as people turn to King Jesus, giant growth. And then one day it will be fully in all its glory when Jesus Christ returns, that final future. And so that brings us to the kingdom of God, not what, but the kingdom of God, who, who. And we discover more about that from this parable of the narrow door. 
I don't know if you saw this week, uh, it was a classic quote from um, the European Commission President, President Jean-Claude Juncker. He said this week, talking about all the trials of Brexit, he said this. He said, if Great Britain does not leave at the end of March, which I think we now know is not going to happen, um, then we are, I'm sorry to say, in the hands of God. And I think even God sometimes reaches a limit to his patience. Now, I'm not totally sure about his theology, but he is right here that there is a limit, there's a limit to God's patience. One day God will bring an end to all evil. There is a time in this parable of the, of the door when the door is closed, when it's too late. And when you read in these verses that there are people standing outside, knocking on the door, they're knocking on the door to be led into the feast of the kingdom of God in all its glory. They're knocking on the door, but they're told by the master it's too late. They're refused entry. And those listening to Jesus and each one of us, we are warned with these images that are images of eternal judgment. If you look at verse 28, it says there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And so the question is an important one. Who is part of the kingdom of God? Who will be at this eternal feast? Now to be at it, obviously we need to first recognize that we need saving. So in verse 23, there's somebody in the crowd, and they ask Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? So some people think that they have nothing to be saved from. But what we see here is we all need to enter through this narrow door and be part of the kingdom of God because we all need to be saved. We all need to be forgiven. There will be people who have done more overtly evil things than us. But the reality is that all of us here, we have and we do contribute to the evil in this world that needs to be ended. And so we need saving. But did you notice what Jesus says? He says the same thing twice to those who are too late to be let in. Just look at it. Jesus, he's the owner of the house in the parable. And he says to them these words twice, verse 25 and verse 27. If you look there, twice he says, I don't know you or where you come from. I don't know you or where you come from. They are, they are terrifying words to hear. Jesus saying to us, I don't know you. But on the flip side, positively, it also reminds us what being part of God's kingdom is all about. It's not just about being saved for forgiveness, but actually on top of that, it's about being saved for friendship, being known by Jesus. But who is in the kingdom of God? If I wanted to try and summarize it, it is those who are friends with King Jesus. God doesn't just forgive us in Christ. He doesn't just say, I'm your new master, I'm your new Lord, I'm your king. No, God, he also wants to befriend us. He invites us to this feast. He wants to know us. He wants to spend time with us as friends want to spend. We are saved for eternal friendship with God. And do you know what? It is friendship that makes this all possible. At its heart... Jesus' death on the cross, it was the most heroic act of friendship that history has ever known. Jesus Christ, the first, 
he became last on the cross. So that we who are last might be first. The turning point of history, the means of any one of us being part of the kingdom of God, fundamentally, the cross, it is a cosmic act of friendship. It is one friend, Jesus, reaching out to others and saying, I'll take the pain, I'll take the punishment for all the evil in the world so that you don't have to. It is the ultimate act of friendship. Now, despite that, Jesus knows, as he's speaking these parables, he knows it's a sad day. He knows it's a sad day because many of the people who are listening to him would not be part of the kingdom of God. Verse 30, he says, many who are first will be last. Because there were plenty of people who were listening to him, speaking to him as he spoke to many people there, who were not willing to be friends with King Jesus. And just as back then, that was a sad day, so too today, it is also a sad day. For there are some of us here who are first, and the tragedy is you will be last. You are first in that maybe you've got Christian parents, or you've had a Christian upbringing, You're first in perhaps you've been around church for years and years and years. You've heard so much. You might privately agree with quite a lot of it. You might try and live by Christian values. You might think it's important to be kind. You're first. But you're not friends with King Jesus. Now that could be for all sorts of reasons. It could be because you think that trying to live a good life along sort of kind of Christian lines is good enough. Or it might be because you think that you know how to be king of your life better than King Jesus knows. Or it might be because you think there are better people to be friends with in life than someone who hasn't stepped foot on this planet for almost 2,000 years. And today's a sad day. Because if it stays like that, verse 30, the first will be last. You're not and you will not be a part of God's kingdom. But the wonderful good news of the gospel is it need not be like that. That is the wonder of the kingdom of God. Because in the future, the picture is in the parable, the picture is of us knocking on the door, but Jesus not letting us in, it's too late. But right now, today, in the present, the picture of the Bible paints, it is the other way around. It's not us knocking on the door to Jesus' house of the kingdom of God, but it's Jesus knocking on the door to our house, the house of our heart. Listen to Jesus, Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Jesus Christ, King Jesus, he wants to be friends with you. He has died and he has risen again to make that possible. And he says there are those here who are last, who will be first, first at the feast of the kingdom of God as they open the door to Jesus and walk through his narrow door into his kingdom. 
the story of the Bible. It is the story of the kingdom of God. This king, this king who came to this earth a first time to usher in his kingdom. And this king, he stands, and he stands knocking at the door of your heart today. He is a king who wants to be your friend. And you need to respond. Respond to the king who knocks. Respond to him. Respond to him now so that you don't find yourself on the wrong side of his door when that king comes again in the future to overthrow all evil and establish the kingdom of God in all its fullness. The story of the Bible is the story of the kingdom of God. Are you in that story? Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. There may be people here this morning. And... You've heard that all I've been saying and you know that probably at the moment you're not friends with Jesus. But you'd love to be. And King Jesus, he stands at the door of your heart, knocking on it. And this morning you can let him into your life. Say, Jesus, I want to be friends with you. Thank you for your love for me. I want to know you in my life. I trust that you know how to run my life better than I know myself. Just in the quiet this morning, if that's you, I'm just going to pray a prayer that you might like to echo in your heart. King Jesus, sorry for ignoring you, thinking I didn't need saving. Jesus, thank you that you offer me forgiveness and friendship. Thank you for making that possible through your death on the cross in my place. And today I respond to you I open the door of my heart to you and I choose to enter your narrow door into your kingdom. Jesus, today, would you be my king and my friend? Amen. I mean, let's just, uh, just keep in an attitude of prayer for a moment, if you would. And just, if that has been a prayer for you, that um, is one that you've prayed in a significant way this morning, just to acknowledge before King Jesus 
that you have prayed that prayer. And just so I can, I'm not going to name you from the front, but I'm just going to pray for those that have um, prayed that prayer. Just where you are, just, well, um, people are quiet. If you'd like to uh, raise your hand, just saying, yeah, that's a prayer I prayed this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray for those three individuals, shall we? It's wonderful. Lord Jesus, thank you for each of those three individuals. Thank you that you love them. Thank you that you care for them. And thank you for this day when there's rejoicing in heaven. And we pray this day for each of them that by the power of your spirit, that you might be so close to them that they might know you as the perfect friend and the one who is the perfect king of their lives. And we pray your blessing and your protection upon them this very day. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Shall we, um, let's give them a round of applause and let's stand as we do that as well. Shall we stand? Uh, The band are going to come up and we're going to continue to pray and we're going to continue to respond uh, in worship. I think for all of us, uh, there's some hard-hitting parables that Jesus uh, is teaching there that we've been looking at. And I just love us, before we get into singing a song, singing a song of response, actually just to go, how has God been speaking to me. Whoever you are, however long you've been a friend of King Jesus, how has God been speaking to you this morning? How has he been encouraging you? How has he been challenging you? Just allow God by his spirit to continue to uh, work in you now, just in the quiet for a moment. may want to close our eyes. may want to say, Holy Spirit, Just speak to me now. Is there something that I need to think differently as a result of what I've heard? Is there something I need to feel differently as a result of what I've heard? Is there something I need to do differently as a result of what I've heard?